Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Jeremy Pollack about best practices for dealing with workplace conflict. Jeremy Pollack, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hey, thanks, Jonathan. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to have this conversation with you today. Uh, You are a real expert in the area of conflict resolution, and we're going to be focusing in on best practices for dealing with workplace conflict, which I think is particularly interesting uh, given our current context of this this global pandemic and so many people working uh, remotely. Uh, while also, you know, we're trying to juggle and balance uh, having a healthy workplace, you know, in terms of physical health. Um, but how do you manage conflict when people aren't actually together, when people are working remotely? Because certainly conflict still emerges within teams and groups, uh, even uh, when they're remote or virtual teams. So I think this can be a really great uh, conversation uh, to, to look at it within that context as well. As we get started today, I just wanted to share Jeremy's bio with everybody. Jeremy holds a master's degree in evolutionary anthropology from California State University Fullerton under anthropologist John Patton. His thesis research was in the evolution of religious cognition and intergroup conflict. Jeremy holds uh, a master's degree in negotiation, conflict resolution, and peace building from California State University, Dominguez Hills. Currently, he is a research fellow at Stanford University, where he leads research projects in social psychology and conflict resolution as an interdisciplinary effort between the Stanford Social Concepts Lab and the Stanford Center on International Conflict and Negotiation. Previously, Jeremy was a research associate at the Center for Behavior, Evolution, and Culture at UCLA, and he has published several peer-reviewed scientific articles and written a number of research papers in the areas of conflict psychology, formability assessment, intergroup conflict, religious uh, cognition, and human cooperation. Uh, As a conflict resolution consultant, Jeremy has mediated conflicts between couples, co-executives, and organizations, aiming as often as possible to transform relationships and create win-win resolutions for all parties involved. He also works as a personal development coach, helping individuals discover internal conflicts, impeding them from living happy, fulfilling lives. His interpersonal or intrapersonal coaching practice is held under the brand of Inner Warrior Coaching. What a fascinating background. Um, Jeremy, and it's a real pleasure to be with you today. Before we jump into the conversation, anything else that you would like to share with listeners by way of uh, personal background, context, anything like that? Oh, sure. I mean, my current company, my consulting firm, where we do organizational conflict management consulting is called Pollock Peacebuilding Systems. Um, so that's that's sort of where I spend a lot of my time right now outside of the academic world. 
Very good. Um, and so you stay very busy, um, both on the academic front and on the practitioner consulting front, uh, which which is a place that I love. That's a, something that I try to do as well um, in balancing um, academia and teaching at the university uh, and research as well, as well as working with organizations and leaders through coaching, through um, consulting work, uh, change management initiatives and things like that. That's where yeah. my focus tends to be. Um, okay, so as we get started, you know, evolutionary anthropology, first and foremost, that caught my attention. That's super interesting to me. Um, how, tell us a little bit about how you got into kind of your area of focus, um, if you don't mind tying in um, evolutionary anthropology uh, into that a bit, um, and negotiation, conflict, resolution, and peace building, also another super fascinating uh, master's degree. Um, that, that you worked on. And then how did that get you to, to where you're at now with the research that you do and the consulting and the, the coaching work that you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always been, I, I started out as a martial artist years ago and I, you know, I used to own a martial arts academy and I was, a, I was a martial arts instructor for a long time and then I became a personal coach. And I was very much interested in the, the psychology of aggression, uh, the psychology of conflict, and the psychology of, of peace, of conflict resolution, and using that in sort of like, a, you know, more of a, 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 a layman's uh, arena, such as martial arts instruction and that kind of thing, and how to de-escalate things before they have to go to physical. But I was really interested in that, and I started looking into evolutionary psychology, which is a sort of a subsection of both psychology and evolutionary anthropology, where, they, where the two of them meet. Uh, so I was really interested in that. I got into a lab at UCLA where I started doing research um, in the evolutionary psychology department. And uh, so from so from there, I, you know, I got really interested. I, I wanted to go back get a graduate degree in it, you know, have something official. And uh, so I started, I, I went back to, to, to school to get my master's in that. And, and through that master's was really started getting really interested in the psychology of group conflict. And so I was looking at the evolution of cooperation at the human level at the species level um and and so and the flip side of that coin is the evolution of conflict so it's kind of you know two two sides of the same coin you know if we're not in cooperation we're in conflict and sometimes we're in the same uh we're in the two together essentially so i i got really interested in that it was very um it was it was a very academic degree it was more research-based um i still am really interested i love you know sort of reading academic literature in that in that field uh but I also wanted to do some more applied work. And so I went back and got more applied, applied masters in conflict resolution, where I learned you know, mediation techniques and some of the sort of basic you know, general philosophy of, of uh, leader, leadership and organizational psychology, uh, conflict management, that kind of thing. So from there, after I, after I did that, I started working with some of my coaching clients uh, who are also entrepreneurs and CEOs and um, just started doing some, you know, general conflict resolution with them between people in their lives, with their business partners, that kind of thing. And I thought, you know, this is an interesting area for me. I actually really enjoyed it. And I launched my company, Pollock Peace Building, um, started doing consulting work on my own just for companies, and eventually started getting so busy that I um, hired on more people and did to, to do contract work. So I wasn't, you know, having to fly around the country all the time. And, um, yeah, and then and then we kind of grew from there and brought on a staff, and now we have a you know a, a pretty robust consulting firm that just we are you know focused in the niche of conflict management. So you know companies basically call us when they're having issues with 
employees or when they foresee potential issues on the horizon and they need training or coaching to help them learn better conflict management and communication skills around uh, de-escalation that kind of thing. Yeah, well, that's, that's wonderful and such a fascinating uh, background and, and really a compilation of, of uh, academic training, practitioner-oriented training and the work that you do, it's, it's uh, tremendous. And the way you were framing that right at the end was really interesting to me because I think what a lot of organizational leaders do is they, they try to avoid conflict uh, and pretend like it's not there until something blows up, right? And yeah. then they're not sure how to deal with it. So then they call in someone like you <laughs> to try to de-escalate, yeah. to try to, to manage it effectively. And that's, of course, one you know, side of the coin in terms of conflict uh, resolution, conflict management. Uh, but but you, then you also have like the, the more proactive approach. Like how do you actually help train up teams to work effectively together to deal with the inevitable types of challenges and frustrations that any team, any group is going to deal with, um, have healthy mechanisms to, to, to deal with disagreement and conflict that may arise so that ultimately organizations can you know, be more proactive about how yeah. they ad address those types of issues. And that's what you were describing at the very tail end of what you were just saying. I'm curious what, like if you were to just roughly um, say like how much of your uh, consulting work and coaching do you spend on the first part where it's kind of the reactive, where things blew up, now I have to deal with it versus the, the proactive trying to make sure that we have a good culture, we have a good um, set of mechanisms in place so people have good conversations and are dealing with things in real time. Yeah, well, I'll tell you. So in terms of people that initially get in touch with us, uh, organizations that get in touch with us, I would say, you know, it's probably 50-50. Um, and, and it can be a little seasonal in terms of how much training, you know, uh, people come to us, how many, how, many, how, many, how many organizations need training at certain times of year. But um, I'd say it's 50-50 in terms of, hey, we're having a problem right now, we need some help versus hey, we foresee some problems in the future or we're, or, or we're hearing that the team is generally dealing with this, whether they're a customer-facing team or whether they're an internal team. And we need, we need some help with figuring out like how can they uh, improve some of their competencies around more effectively dealing with, with conflicts. So I'd say it's 50-50, but what ends up happening is a lot, of the, a lot of the companies that come to us initially for a reactive conflict management where, hey, we need some you know, relational mediation here and these people get along better, they end up staying on board a lot of times for further coaching and training. They, they recognize like this was just one small kind of presenting issue that exists in a larger system. And the only reason that this issue was able to emerge was because the system in some way supported that issue to emerge. If the system was set up a little bit differently, that issue would have probably been uh, mitigated pretty early on, but it, but it didn't. It was let to persist and they got to the point where they needed to call in a consultant. So, um, so we ended up usually a lot of times staying on. So those turned into a lot of training. I personally spend most of my time now coaching and training. Um, I don't do, a, I, I have a lot of other people, uh, our contractors and, and our consultants, uh, who we call our peace builders, they go out and do a lot of the reactive stuff just because I'm, I'm very interested in preventing conflict, personally preventing conflict. And I can do it on such a massive scale with training we, where we train hundreds of people um, at an organization. So yeah. But uh, so I'm, I'm personally almost a hundred percent of my time is in coaching and training at this point. Well, good. And that's encouraging to hear, um, you know, this 50, 50 mix, because, you know, I, I think obviously if there is something that blows up, you want to be able to deal with it 
in a productive way as, as best right. as possible. And a lot of people just don't have the skill set to be able to do that. Um, but whenever possible, we, we want to be proactive. We want to lay the groundwork and the foundation, you know, for healthy relationships, healthy communication patterns, where people can deal with those challenging issues as they come up rather than waiting for them to fester, just like you would say in a marriage, you know, just yeah. allowing that conflict to build is, is never going to be uh, a good long-term sustainable solution <laughs> um, okay. to any relationship, right? Whether it's at home, in the workplace, whatever. Um, excellent, excellent. So let's shift a little bit now and talk more about what your experience has um, shown you in terms of best practices for dealing with uh, workplace conflict. Um, both in a physical workplace, but also I, I'm really curious about what you've been seeing during this almost year long, you know, uh, yeah. shutdown where people are working in virtual teams. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Well, I'll tell you that, you know, so something interesting that I wasn't really expecting, um, but looking, you know, retroactively looking back on it now, I can kind of say, oh, this makes sense. A lot of a lot of people that had conflicts before when they were working in an office together, some of the tension kind of uh, decreased when they went to remote because they weren't with each other all the time. And although I, I think although the core issues are not solved yet, the the sort of presenting stress, the everyday stress that they felt started lessening. And that's actually a good place to start healing a relationship so that when they do come back together, you know, if they ever do come back in the same office again, um, that they, that they have better skills to better, better skills to communicate more effectively, to get along better, to support each other more. So, um, so this has actually been a great time to do a lot of coaching and training because it, it because people's stress levels are not as high, they're at home, they get to relax a little bit more, they have more work-life balance now a little bit. You know, they're stressed out because of the whole pandemic thing, but I think he, a lot of people that I've seen really enjoy this work from home because they figured it out. And a lot, of, a lot of companies that didn't think they could do it have somehow figured out how to be really productive and effective even when everyone's working from home. So um, I think a lot of people's stress levels have gone down, which is great. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that we're human. So humans, you know, are naturally, you know, prone to conflict when we are 
uh, feeling some, you know, base, some of our basic needs or some of our goals being threatened or impeded by other people. Uh, so that's going to occur when we come back. It's, it's, I think it's a lot of times occurring now as, as customer facing employees come back, especially when they're dealing with the public, you know, especially like in, um, you know, places like hospitality and restaurants and that kind of thing when, you know, people have to wear masks and they don't want to and deal with conflict and, and even in, in universities and, and adult schools where they have students coming back and students don't want to wear masks or students don't want to follow particular rules and that kind of thing. So, um, so there's, so there's interesting things that are coming about from the pandemic, but I would say in terms of best practice, I mean, first of all, I think training is super important. I think I, we've, we've, we're running the study right now to, to see how many um, organizations are, or how many employees are actually getting training. And there's, there's a very, very small amount of employees that actually receive training in conflict management skills. And I think that's like, um, I, I think it's a huge detriment not to get your employees trained. And I mean, obviously I'm biased because I'm in this field, but, um, but having just basic communication skills so that when someone gives you some feedback, you know, which it could be negative feedback, um, you know, when, but when someone brings something to you how, or confronts you with something, how do you, you know, sort of more effectively, calmly respond in a way that can actually solve the problem rather than just escalate the whole thing? And vice versa, if you need to give someone feedback, instead of going to them and, and blaming them or character assassinating them or something like that, how do you give them constructive feedback? This is just a basic training that we often do is like how to give and receive constructive feedback. A lot of people just don't know. You know, other things are like de-escalation skills. Like, so basic training like that. I think also um, things like having a, a, a working code of civility. You know, most companies just don't have it. They don't have a, they, they might have something in their HR handbook that's like a code of conduct or something, but no one looks at that. No one, it's not top of mind. But what I'm, what I, what we often try to do with companies that are experiencing issues is, you know, at least at the very, at the, um, at the very onset, we can say in terms of the system, in terms of people, how people are expected to treat each other, do they understand a, what the expectations are, and B, what the protocols are when they do run into problems. So if you don't have a conflict management system in place where people experience something, what do they do? Do they go to HR? If they go to HR, do they feel safe? Do they feel confidential? Do they feel anonymous? What's that protocol when they have a problem? What, what, what can they do? And also, before they even get to the problem, what is the code of civility? What, is, what are the standards and the expectations that people have agreed to and there's a, whole pro- there's a whole sort of process for building a code of civility, but it shouldn't be like pages and pages long with paragraphs and no one wants to read it. It should be very simple, you know, 10 items, you know, or something like that. And, um, and there should be accountability measures in place for people to be checking in on. And I think, and I think it's also really important. I, I, don't, I see a lot of companies that don't do this, that they have 360 reviews that are checking in on things like code of civility. So, so employees are getting reviewed by their leadership. But leaders are very rarely getting empo- uh, getting reviewed by their direct reports, and when when you start getting 360 reviews, when everybody's reviewing each other, and they can sit down and have like you know um, constructive dialogues around what the reviews mean and how we can improve and all that stuff, it's way way different than I never I can never approach my leader, I can never give them any feedback. They're very defensive, you know. Um, so there's so there's no there's no recourse if they're treating me poorly. The only recourse I have is maybe I go to HR and then that becomes a whole thing, and I don't want to do that, you know. So having a 360 review process in place that integrates a code of civility, and also um, and also a conflict management systems design. I think those three elements 
are really important in terms of best practices for mitigating conflict and managing it. I love the idea of a code of civility. Um, and as you said, just really outlining expectations and then mechanisms for accountability. It, it sounds pretty simple. Uh, it's not rocket science, but it, it's just so uncommon in organizations and in teams. And I think, I think of even, you know, I do a lot of group with teams and, and effective teams and where, where I don't do work that's exclusively related to conflict resolution. Um, you know, a lot of the work that we do is, yeah, what, what are the team norms? Like, what are the expectations yeah. for each other? How do you communicate with each other? How do you prefer to be communicated with? Um, and just accountability mechanisms. Um, it, it's, it's very simple, but you have to, there's no, there's no shortcutting it. You just have to have those conversations. You have to set those things in place. Otherwise, inevitably, you're going to have problems down the road. Um, and it, it, it pays off so much to put that time in up front to make sure that you have those shared expectations, shared understanding. Um, and, and you can, you can sidestep a lot of landmines that way. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, and there's, and there's a lot of simple fixes. If you head it off early, there's a very, I'll give you an example. I work with one um, executive who uh, I've been coaching for a while. And when we started, one of the things that he, that we found was we did a 360 assessment for him and, and some of so some of his direct reports and even some of his coworkers and his leaders um, did a little bit of a, a, an assessment on him and we got some aggregate data. And one thing that we found was people, you know, he, he prefers to communicate via email, but when he communicated via email, his emails are so short, like sometimes one or three word answers or something like that. And when people get that, they go, he's being rude. Like, like they would read it as, you know, he's just being curt with me and being rude. And so he, and when I, when, when I check in with him, he's like, I'm not, I really, I have no issue. I'm just like, I have no time to respond long responses. So, you know, he doesn't get the whole, I should put a smiley face and I should put hot, you know, their name. And I just want to respond quick and get it done. So one thing that he did early on, and, and it actually helped a lot was he just in his signature line, right above his name, he said, he says, it says something like uh, PS, please excuse any brevity via email. Because just, just putting it out there, just saying, I know that I'm short on email, it's, it's nothing personal, right? Like that's kind of what it gave. And from that, it actually, a lot of people started getting the idea, oh, he doesn't mean, it. you know, and even when he started email, when I email with him and he's very short, I read that and I, in, psychologically, I'm, I, I feel like, oh, okay, it's nothing personal. He's not trying to be short with me. This is just the way he interacts on email. So these kind of like little, just little things that people can change when they start understanding how are people perceiving my communication with them, you know, and how do, how do I, and if there's problems there, how do I improve it? What are some simple changes to improve it? Those are really, because otherwise it goes down the road and people start perceiving, oh, this person is being hostile towards me or they're being short with me or they're being rude or whatever. And then everything they do from that point on is like filtered through this frame of hostility, you know? So you can ask a, a benign question and all of a sudden the person goes, look, he's challenging me. Look, he's trying to catch me doing something wrong. And he's just really just asking a question, you know? So, and, that, and that's what we do as humans, right? We fill in the yeah. gaps, right? And we make assumptions and we're insecure and we get defensive. And, and so trying yeah. just putting these simple things in place to help short circuit, you know, those types of uh, gut kind of defensive responses that people might have. Absolutely. We, we have, I talk a lot about cognitive biases. We have all kinds of these mental shortcuts that, that our brains do to, um, to weed out threats and to be vigilant and to, to, to perceive threats quickly and all that stuff. 
And, and, you know, so like things like confirmation bias, things like anchoring bias, anchoring bias is like whatever information I first learned about this person, I'm going to filter all new information that I learned about them. I'm going to filter through that first piece of information. So if someone rubbed me the wrong way the first time, that first impression thing, I'm going to always filter it, kind of compare it back to that. And, and, and there needs to be a little work to undo that first negative impression or something. So there's, there's, there's all kinds of biases at work and we can, we can put some simple practices in place to start mitigating the, the, the risky effects of those biases. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Jeremy, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. The time has flown by and we're about out of time. Uh, I, I suspect we could go on and on and on uh, around this topic because there's just so much there um, to discuss. Uh, but be before we close today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about what you're up to, uh, and give us the last word on the topic for today. Sure. Yeah. I mean, my, you can, if you're, uh, you can come to my, uh, our company's website is called PollockPeaceBuilding.com. Um, my, I just released a book. It's called the conflict resolution playbook communication skills for preventing, managing and resolving conflicts. It's for, you know, people at work and at home. Uh, certainly not an academic book. It's for anybody can read it. Um, just practical skills and techniques to resolve conflicts with people. So those are probably the two best ways to interact. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I encourage listeners to reach out to Jeremy, check out the book, check out uh, the company website, find out more about the research they're doing and the, the great training and uh, the other coaching that uh, Jeremy and his team are involved in. Uh, see if there's anything they can do to help you and your organization. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. I hope you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.